0: Your next career move could be your best. Verizon Retail is where people learn, grow, and succeed. We offer the potential to earn up to $50,000 annually and amazing benefits that start on day one. Get perks including half off your wireless phone plan, up to $8,000 per year in tuition assistance, and a 401k match to help you reach your goals. Pursue your ambitions today. Learn more and apply at verizon.com forward slash retail careers. Hi, this is Bob Costas, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter.
1: The ML Sports Platter is back with you all over the major platforms. Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Deezer, you name it. Download subscribe, leave Feedback, and a five-star review. Find that podcast icon wherever you get podcasts on your smartphone device. Tap it, hit search, type in ML Sports Platter, hit subscribe, and new and archived episodes of this podcast will go right to your smartphone device. Past guests include Mark Teixeira, Kel Ripkin Jr., Adrian Wojnarowski, Ian O'Connor, Bob Costas, a slew of guests that I hope you have enjoyed, and there are a lot more coming in the pipeline. This podcast brought to you by Bryant & Stratton College, the Al & Angus Pub, and Sit means Sit Syracuse. If you're in and around Central New York, go on over to David and his team. They've got the best dog training in the area. SitMeansSit.com. Syracuse, of course, uh, uh, consultations are available right now. So make sure you go over there. Any breed, any dog, any behavior at SitMeansSit Syracuse, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. Speaking of amazing guests, let's bring in another one. He is right now an analyst for the NFL Network, a former vice president of player evaluation for the New York football Giants, a two-time Super Bowl champ, 20 years of NFL scouting as well in Philadelphia with the Eagles, and with the Bills in Buffalo. At Mark Ross on Twitter. That's at M-A-R-C Ross. At Mark Ross on Twitter. Go give him a follow. Mark Ross, welcome aboard, man. This is a a treat to have you. Huge fan of you on on TV. How are you? Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate having me. So before the NFL draft actually happens, when do you, if at all, get draft fatigue?
0: (laughs) Well... If you're if you're part of a team, you don't get it. You just you just keep rolling with it. And you got to go uh, until the the night the the last signing of the college free agents. So you, you have the three days of the draft, and then after that, it's really the most hectic part is after the draft when you're trying to scuffle to sign a bunch of players that um, you know you, you still have to fill your team out roster with that don't get drafted and it's not until all that's over with that you kind of just get the to to release and breathe and everything on the media side you know it's funny just seeing it from this side just the the millions of mock drafts I know we didn't really pay attention to that kind of stuff at teams but now that I'm on the media side you just see so much and you know making up stories and this and that so it gets kind of like all right, let's go let's get this thing done with and let's talk about some real stuff with, with football
1: one thing that bothers me is when so many talking heads come out with what guys can't do. It seems like we're we're, we're you know they're 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 clawing for something else. You know, oh well, eh, you know he's got the size and this, and whatever, but the IQ, nah, the accuracy, eh, this guy can't do that. You know, the wide receiver doesn't run fast enough. It seems like there's too much of the can't do when we should hear more about the can do, right?
0: Well, it, it, that's when it's unfairly uh, put on people. I think that's the problem is that when you don't apply the same sort of standards, you don't apply the same uh, negativity to everyone. And if we want to get specific, we're, we're, we're talking about Justin Fields. I mean, just the whole situation that's going on with Justin Fields yep. now with what he can't do. I mean, the guy has been a star his whole life. He's been a leader his whole life. He's been a winner. He's been productive. I mean, even off the field with Ohio State last year at the forefront of getting the Big Ten to play football, all he accomplished this year, and then you see the negativity come out against him, and just, uh, we go further with that, you know, just the next black quarterback, high-profile black quarterback that got unfairly painted with that picture, Uh, but yet, we don't apply that to, let's just say, Trevor Lawrence, and You know, we don't hear anything negative about Trevor Lawrence, and I've never really seen a prospect that no one digs into and uh, who has serious flaws now and no one really digs into with that. So when it's unfairly put on certain players and not others, that's when I get upset about it. But you have to really break down players with the positives and the negatives because every player has positives and negatives. But you have to break that down and apply that standard to everyone.
1: We love, you know, using the can't miss and uh... For a future Pro Bowler, and he's a he's a no doubt about it stud. You know all those things. What can't miss guys do you think reside in the first round? I, I mean, Kyle Pitts obviously is at the top of most people's lists. Um, but but what guys are out there who you look at right now, Mark, and you're like, yep, yep, I'm I'm in. Bang, look, test. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: Mike, number one, there's no such thing as a can't-miss prospect. And I've never been around it. And even though those guys you think can't miss, there's, there's always that little bit of, okay, if this goes awry in the league, you know, that this could be the thing that, that brings them down. Uh, that being said, there are guys each draft, you're like, all right, if this guy doesn't make it, then the whole process is flawed. You know, you just, just completely missed it. And you mentioned Kyle Pitts. You know, he's my from day one that I saw him. I said this guy's the most talented player in the draft. I had not have not seen a player like him, just who is so unique and rare, and what he could do. Uh, Jamar Chase uh, is in that category, just as far as he should be a excellent pro. Uh, Rashawn Slater, just, you know, even guys that aren't going to be top five picks, top ten picks, uh, just like an Elijah Vera Tucker, someone like that, where you look at him and say, this guy's going to play a long time and make it and be a really good player. So, I mean, you can go down the the, the list of that, of Patrick Sertain, uh, those sort of guys where you're like, they should make it. They really don't have a whole bunch of flaws, and those are the type of guys uh, that you kind of rely on.
1: What similarities are there and what differences are there with you now being an analyst in, in, in your approach to the NFL draft, how you watch it and all that and evaluate, and then when you were inside franchises, inside the rooms, you know, VP player evaluation with the Giants, scouting Eagles and Bills, what are the similarities and differences now and, and, and then, you know, inside outside the franchises?
0: Yeah, so when I watch tape, I mean, I watch it exactly the same, and that's my favorite thing to do this is, since I started scouting even till now. I mean, just the actual putting that film on and breaking a player down is what, what they do well, what they struggle with, what they can improve on, what, what the, their impact, all that is exactly the same when I break that down. Now the difference is where that information goes and the, the, the pressure that is on that information where you're working for teams and everything is... Is, is stress almost everything is important every single thing every variable when you bring this information to your team and we have meetings is super important every draft pick you think's going to be you know i can't miss as you mentioned every single one down in the seventh round you're feeling great about that and the pressure is on it but every single pick is scrutinized now on the media side i can do it and break it down and i talk about things and i i still have that same conviction what i'm saying and believing but it's just not that stress uh, of okay if, if I'm wrong about what I'm saying then this impacts your whole organization so it's a lot less of that uh, sort of pressure to, when I talk about players now as opposed to uh, being part of a team and, and you know the severity of each pick but to, as far as just breaking it down and what I feel as far as uh, you know what I'm seeing on film it's, it's exactly the same
1: I, I know we have them I know people love to hype them up and over evaluate and all the rest but do we really need pro days really
0: (laughs) you must have heard me in the past no we don't we do not and and um there's so so much importance placed on pro days and and even workouts to combine and and here's the thing with the nfl they really don't learn this is a big flaw from the past and there's no there's absolutely no correlation between running a fast 40 time or jumping a high and a vertical or a broad jump a three cone there really is no correlation between saying if you do those things well you're a good football player there really isn't but yet we go into this draft process each year and we place so much importance on that uh, and that's because people are comfortable with numbers and and you can say you can watch Devonte smith on tape and guys can argue all day is he fast is he not fast but if he runs at 40 time, then that gives people the comfort level to say, see, I either told you he's fast or he's not fast. Mm-hmm. Or in comparing two different players, you have those numbers to compare and say, yes, if a guy runs 4-3, he is faster than the guy that runs 4-6. Even though if you're watching them on film, that might, may not be true. So I, the certainty of numbers gives people comfort uh, in the NFL. Uh, but yet and still... The, cor- the only correlation between – if you look at really good football players now in the NFL, they were always kind of really good football players. And it's rare that you'll see someone that was not good is all of a sudden a good NFL player or just a workout phenom who turns into a great NFL player. It's really good football players remain good football players, uh, and that's what I kind of base it off of. But teams, they are teams that do it better, that just rely on the film, where others rely more on the workouts. And I think that that's where you get into the
1: problems. Mark Ross, our guest here on the ML Sports Platter, brought to you by Stanley Law Offices. Get him on Twitter, at Mark Ross, NFL Network Analyst and a former VP player evaluation with the New York Giants, two-time Super Bowl champion, uh, spent a a couple of uh, decades scouting with the Eagles and the Bills. You know, in in this draft, uh, obviously the Bills at number 30 is is probably the, the, the number one thing for me just because that's uh, that's my team. It's two hours. It's two hours away, two <laughs> hours away from here. Uh, I, yep. I host a Bills podcast. On and on it goes. But right after that, I got to tell you, Mark, I've got Atlanta at number four is the thing that I'm watching the most because what do you do if you're Atlanta? You have a new regime, new GM, new head coach. Um, you know, do, do 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 you go a little bit longer with Matt Ryan? Do you go a little bit longer with Julio Jones, or do you kind of turn the page a little bit here? And, and obviously. Them losing the Super Bowl, twenty, you know, up 28-3 against New England, now looking back on it, probably caused this situation to say, hey, is it this way or is it that way? What are the Falcons doing there at number four? To me, that may be the story of round one.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. But even at three, with San Fran with this whole smokescreen with the, the Mac Jones or, or Justin Fields situation where that, to me, is where it really starts, where I just cannot believe. Uh, that Mac Jones would be the third pick in the NFL draft, so that kind of it starts right there when when I'll be watching uh, Thursday night of two weeks from now. Uh, but with Atlanta, I think it is time for them to move forward with a quarterback, but. Mike, they've got to have the right guy. So we talk about these guys that are up there, and you say they need a quarterback. Okay, well, it has to be the right quarterback, and it has to be the quarterback that they like um, and not just take a guy. So I think if Justin Fields is there for Atlanta at Ford, I think they'll take him. He's from that area. It would just kind of be that perfect uh, match uh, with a player and a team, let Matt Ryan play another year, get Justin Fields comfortable and then ready to go. Now, if there's other guys that are there, Atlanta may not be comfortable, with those other quarterbacks uh, but if they are if they have a, a, a two or three guys that they really like at four, I think they have to do it because uh, if, if you're thinking you're going to well if we don't it doesn't pan out we'll be picking this high again then you you already know that Matt Ryan's not your guy if you think you're going to fail with him next year to be picking high again so you're, you have to be thinking we won't be picking this high again we have to take the quarterback uh, that we really like and and it reminds me of back when I was with the Eagles uh, 1999 draft when we had the second pick and we took Donovan McNair. Yeah, baby.
1: Um, <laughs> yep.
0: So, as you know, and, but Tim Couch was one, but there was Achilles Smith, there was Dante Culpepper, there was K.A. McNow. And you say, well, the Eagles have to take a quarterback. Well, we did, but we had to take the right guy and we did all the investigation on all those guys, but... We liked Donovan, and there were others, you know, the tiered where, okay, we like this guy as well, but others, we just said that this guy is not worth that number two pick. So I'm I'm comparing that to Atlanta, where it's the right guy for them at four, not just any of the guys.
1: Donovan McNabb is my favorite Syracuse football player of all time. Uh, <laughs> I remember watching him, you know, at the Dome, and, and that was back when, obviously, this was the... I mean, let's face it. This was McNabb, Marvin Harrison. They could go into Ann Arbor and beat Michigan. They were playing on yeah. the big stage. They made huge bowl games. Keith Bullock, Donovan Darius. I mean, it was pro, 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 pro everywhere mm-hmm. on the roster. It was a different time, obviously. But in that time, McNabb played a – people. it's very simple for people just to say, well, it's an option offense. It was a Kev, Kevin Gilbride crazy – uh, motion option offense with play action involved and, and weird reverses and all sorts of stuff going on. And McNabb was such a perfect guy for that. So two-parter here. One, what did it look like then as far as transferring to the NFL? And two, considering that McNabb has been such a great hybrid quarterback, the way the game is today, shouldn't he get more credit?
0: Yeah, I, I, Donovan is the most underrated player that I think I've been around and he really didn't get his due and that was from day one with getting booed on draft day where he just never was appreciated the way he should have been appreciated and and as much as he won for us in Philly uh as much as productive as he was and we would go into games we had a strong d we had some running backs but really never had receivers for him but he you know you knew going into games like Donald win the game for us and that's what you want out of the quarterback and he raised the level of, of the whole entire offense um you know just getting back to him at syracuse you're right they did so much stuff there that was so different uh than just about anybody else and he got dinged for that. Well, well, they're running this offense. He can't drop back. He can't. Well, yes, he could. If you really watched them and broke down what Donovan McNabb did uh, at Syracuse, it was, they did all kinds of stuff. Now, then he went to the senior bowl that year and played, and that kind of opened up uh, people a little bit more people's eyes of what he could do uh, just as far as the versatility um, but he, you know, you just go through the checklist of what Donovan McNabb represented. I mean, he was, as you mentioned, he, he won, he produced, you know, he came from a great family, high characters, just everything you wanted in a quarterback, but still was just sort of underrated and underappreciated uh, in the grand scheme of things. And I think definitely once his, his NFL career was finished, that he was still underappreciated in Philly and even in the NFL.
2: You know, when you order a new video game
0: Services may vary at participating dealers. Subject to applicable law. See dealer for details. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds. Anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Learn the art of filmmaking with Spike Lee. Or how to bring your creative vision to life with Issa Rae. Try songwriting with Alicia Keys and cooking with Gordon Ramsay. The possibilities are endless. With over 100 world-class instructors ready to teach you, that thing you always wanted to do is closer than you think. Get 15% off your annual
1: membership today at masterclass.com save. That's masterclass.com save. Talking football and NFL draft with a terrific analyst, Mark Ross from NFL Network, a former player evaluation uh, VP with the Giants and a couple of Super Bowls on the resume as well there. We'll get into that in a second. 20 years also scouting uh, Eagles bills at Mark Ross on Twitter. Um, by my count, there are still 12 teams in the NFL that have not won a Super Bowl um people don't understand it people don't realize it they think a lot of a lot of it is fan stuff but let's face it most fans have no idea what they're talking about um <laughs> but there's this general go get the elite eight uh, uh, the elite quarterback there, there's eight qbs in the draft you know you, you, you got to hit one you got to strike it you got to keep drafting you got it you know okay yeah you, you do need an elite quarterback but mark you've been in this thing for so long with the Giants scouting Eagles, Bills, knowing the league the way you do, doing the work that you do now, watching the tape, can you please enlighten my, my listeners a little bit on how hard it is? It gets thrown out all the time. Go find an elite quarterback. Yeah. You're not hanging from trees. Can you? Can you just tell yeah. how, tell my people how hard it really is to find your franchise elite guy? Yeah.
0: So you know the, the quarterback position is the most important position in sports by far, and it's not close. And as you mentioned, it's it's even if you look at it, like each year we have you know five or six guys that are going to get drafted, and they get these guys are going to be great. Well, no, actually, only one or two of these guys are going to be great. And when you just look at the landscape of the NFL now, just as far as who are the great quarterbacks, you're still really only looking at about eight guys, and that is kind of consistent each year year in and year out where there's let's let's just be generous and say 10 there's 10 people walking around on this earth that he can say we're going into that season and we know that this guy can win football games and raise the level of everybody in the organization uh, that that's the guy and i mean that's it's such a such a rare uh position it's such such rare importance in that position and it's hard to evaluate as we've seen in the past where Again, do they not make it because they're not good enough or do they get misevaluated? Are they in a bad situation? Did they get hurt? Did we miss some signs as far as uh, his ability to read defenses or, or what? There's so many variables that go into scouting a quarterback and you see so many misses up there uh, because it is so important. Everyone wants to be that, wants to have that guy and they get overvalued because of the importance of it. Uh, and I think that'll just keep going. Uh, further down the line, you'll just you'll still see that they're just a strong group of. These are the ten best guys in the league, and the the rest are like the middle of the pack, and then the, and then the majority of guys aren't the one for you. But it's it's almost uh, you, you have to be extremely extremely lucky in all these factors in order to get the right person.
1: Do the current Buffalo Bills have staying power?
0: Oh, without a doubt. As long as Josh Allen keeps being Josh Allen. They they definitely do. So, uh, but that's, and he's done an amazing transformation as far as how he has started to now to being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And I got to be honest, I did not see that in Josh Allen, but as long as he keeps playing at this level or even getting better, the bills will be there. And, And I mentioned Donovan, what we had, where we knew, okay, we've got Donovan McNabb, let's put the pieces around him and let's keep, keep winning. Um, so Josh Allen right now is a top five let's just say top five quarterback and let's just keep putting pieces around him let's have a strong team Uh, but you know going into the season all right we should get we should get nine wins with this guy and then we have to build everything else around him to make it to see how much further we should go it's 10 12 wins whatever it may be Uh, but yes they are in a a better position than just about the entire league except the exception of a few quarterbacks what
1: what is it like you won two Super Bowls with the Giants what is it like in New York when you are the champion
0: oh man There's nothing like it, you know. And we had a lot of success when I was with with the Eagles. We just never got over the hump, but just when we won, it's just uh, (laughs) you're the star among stars. You know, it's just it's it's amazing. It's it's hard to describe, really. No, no, really feeling that you have, and uh, and to do it twice, and and they were so different. Uh, But yeah, you're just walking on water all the time, and you just carry that that cachet and. You know New York's got a lot of great teams but just the, the Giants the, the history of that and uh, the special love that the, this fan base has for it it really was nothing like it
1: final couple here I, I just wanted to, to find out from you you know what what kind of advice would you give someone who wants to get into scouting who wants to get into player evaluation uh, you know at a young age right now you know from your experiences what, what where, where would you guide him or her
0: yeah you just have to um, You know, if you're in college now, you know, try to get in sport management programs. Try to just get involved as much as you can as far as working in any sort of uh, athletic capacity. That could be at your sports information department and at your college. That's what I did while I played at Princeton. Uh, Volunteer, you know, try to get internships as much as you possibly can. And, you know, if you've already graduated, uh, you know, still try to get your resume out to as many uh, sports. teams leagues as you can to just get in the door uh and then learn and then uh, you know do do research on what you like to do and it doesn't necessarily have to be scouting but uh just get into anything and then try to transition from there and always be willing to do whatever once you get that internship you have to do a good job uh but these 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 jobs are scarce and they're hard to come by, so persistence it will have to always be persistent. You're going to get a lot
1: lot more no's than yeses, but you have to stay persistent to try to get it. All right, final one for you, Mark. Um, as you know, the NFL is obviously a copycat league. You know, we, Everybody right now is trying to find the next Mahomes. It wasn't too long ago trying to find the next McVay as a head coach. What's the next thing that we're going to be – hearing about that everybody's going to try to copy
0: wow the next thing so who's <laughs> yeah, i guess uh I, I think there'll even be more innovation here with 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 offensive okay. with quarterbacks with this new i think that'll be the the next thing that people realize how's okay. that
1: possible right but yeah <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah no because the, yeah. and that always was like
1: that where yeah the lower
0: level divisions, kind of, when I would go to one aa well, FCS, FBS programs, I still call it, but they, they always were doing the innovative stuff, and then, but you always would downplay people because they didn't do things like the NFL. And I mentioned how the, the Syracuse offense before, but now it's the NFL is copying the lower levels and what they do because those that's where really all the innovative stuff is going on and then it trickles. It's, it's starting to trickle up more and more now. So start looking for what they're doing at, at uh, the smaller programs and then you'll start seeing that up. Uh, you know, Even stuff, innovative stuff that was going on in high school levels that would trickle up. Um, so just start looking for more of that.
1: Well, this was outstanding stuff. Mark Ross, NFL Network, at Mark Ross on Twitter, spent 20 years scouting with the Eagles and Bills and uh, two-time Super Bowl champ with the New York football giants, the former VP player evaluation uh, man there with the G. Man, Mark, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, communicating with me over the the social media platform there on on Twitter and uh, continued success your way.
0: Sure thing, man. Appreciate it.
1: By the way, a slip of the tongue uh, in the interview with Mark Ross. I said Kevin Gilbride. Uh, I meant Kevin Rogers, the former offensive coordinator uh, at Syracuse when Donovan McNabb uh, was there and you know what happens a lot of times in uh, in in the business names get just they're in your head there's so many names in your head at once Uh, you 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 know who it is but then sometimes you have a slip of the tongue Uh, Kevin Gilbride obviously is a guy who was the Bills offensive coordinator for a while in the early 2000s Uh, quarterbacks coach and OC with the Giants Uh, on and on it goes but I was thinking of and meant to say Kevin Rogers, not Kevin Gilbride, the OC of Syracuse when Donovan McNabb was there. The ML Sports Platter is brought to you by our great friends at Welch and Company Jewelers. Log on to welchjewelers.com today. Shop the Showcase. It is a terrific place, man. They've got awesome wedding rings, engagement rings, bracelets, watches, you name it. And they will do jewelry repair as well if you are in the greater central New York area. Right there uh, in North Syracuse across from Lonergan Park. Welch & Company Jewelers, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. Tip of the cap, thank you as well to Sit Mean Sit Syracuse, Rosie's Corner, and our good friend Dave Choate. Go get them, DaveChoatArtwork.com. He's got awesome prints. I just got a couple of frames for my Bo Jackson, Ken Griffey Jr., and a couple others, um, which I'll be doing a lot of things with as well. Dave does awesome work. He can paint you originals as well based on request. Go ahead and visit DaveChoteArtwork.com. You can spend 10 bucks and get a bunch of prints, uh, you know, 10 15 20 bucks, get a bunch of prints, go out and buy a, a frame for, you know, $6, 7 dollars Put up a couple of uh, pictures in your man cave and it looks unbelievable. Trust me. Dave Choate is the official artist and painter of the ML Sports Platter. Time to bring in our second guest of the podcast, a guy who I have respected for a very, very long time. He's really gotten it done uh, in the TV world. He's an Emmy Award winning television news anchor and reporter and producer and a blogger of Matt's Memo. CNY Central's Matt Mulcahy. Matt. Uh, is also on Twitter at Matt Mulcahy. Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. I've been obviously a big fan and uh, respected your work for a long time. You set the standard uh, in Central New York and beyond in the industry. So welcome in. It's it's really an honor to have you. Well, thank you. That's really nice of you to say. And uh, same same back at you. I know you're you're like the hardest working man in uh, Syracuse showbiz. You know. <laughs> Well, you, <laughs> you, always you, working hard and always out there. I love it. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta grind. It's it goes with the territory. You you've been at it for for a long time, and I mean, gosh, you spent thirty years uh, in the industry. You, you, you see change. You go through change. Um, yeah. How have you adapted to the the change from beginning to end in, in in the TV industry? How how it's shrunk and it's grown and it's shrunk and it's you know there's the digital part now. I mean, how how have you gone through it yourself in, in all your well, roles? Yeah, well, I, that's a good
2: question. I think, remarkably, the the first part of it is, is that TV is still here, and local TV news is still here, and in many respects is as strong or stronger than it's ever been as a really critical resource. I know it is in Syracuse, and, and I think that's true in a lot of other communities, especially as we saw, uh, you know, the newspapers fade away and turn into dot com sites that didn't have the same weight um, that they once did that, that local TV news and research shows this too continues to be even in the digital age a primary resource now having said that man is it different you know and and in every sense of of how you describe media it's different you know from the way things were you I know mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to make myself sound older than I am, but I did start by using a typewriter. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, missed, I missed the age of film, but we were shooting on big, thick videotape that was, you know, in a separate, uh, a separate deck from the camera, connected by a long cable. You know, um, with heavy, heavy. You needed you needed interns at your newsroom so they could carry the heavy weight yeah. of the battery packs for the photographers. So. So I I did see that part of the business and how it changed through decade after decade now um, to the point where we could almost all do our jobs just on our our iPhone, Um, which is just incredible, the technology changes. I once said at a class at SU, in fact, like that I can't predict what the future technology will be. All I can predict is that there will be future technology. (laughs) You know, that, that whatever we're doing now it, it's different than what we'll be able to do in the next five to ten years, and but but who knows what that is? So you always have to be ready and be open to it. I think is really what I've learned
1: over the years. If you were twenty two and coming out of Ithaca, and we'll get into your days at Ithaca as well. Yeah. What a great what a great sure. school, a great place. My, yeah. sis, my sister went there. Um, what would you What would you do? I mean, if you wanted to be in. Journalism, be a TV anchor or radio or whatever the case may be, or a writer, how would you do it? Would you would you get out and, and start your own thing because all the technology is there? Would you mix modern technology and, and, and old technology ways and modern media and traditional media and, and, and go for it and apply just like you did a long time ago? How, how would you... How would you approach it if you're 22, or even for that matter, maybe 18 in terms of making yeah. a college decision? Maybe that part of it is, is, is completely different now. Well,
2: I think there's two paths that you need to consider. One, One, first of all, when whether you're 16 or 18 and you're in high school and you're interested in this arena of, of media and telling people information, um, or, or you're in that college age, what I do tell students now is, you do not have to wait to get your job to do it. You know, from where we were just talking about, as long as you have a phone that records sound and video, which everybody does in their pocket, you could have your own podcast. You could write your own blog. You could have. You could take your own photos and be a photojournalist. You could be on YouTube and have your own channel, and it doesn't cost anything or virtually anything. And and you can, you can articulate your own voice. Now, the two problems with that are how do you build an audience, which is difficult when you're truly on your own and unknown, and and then secondly, and, and obviously it critically, how do you make money at it? Um, because we all do need to make a living, and, and that's part of the companion goal of doing something we love. We also hope to be able to provide for ourselves and, and ultimately for our families, too. So I think that's what makes it difficult to be able to say to somebody, just go your own way, because you have to you have to have your own sense of an entrepreneurial spirit. I think to be able to say, I'm I'm going to do a, an investigative twelve part podcast that ends up maybe getting uh, put on Spotify and Apple iTunes, but maybe it won't. You know, maybe it won't get. There. Maybe it'll never get an audience. But I think if, if you if you have that spirit of adventure. Entrepreneurship, confidence in your skills and the abilities, and the, and the, the great thing at that age is you, you have a lack of fear, then I would say, that's the time to do it. Go for it. If you feel just a little more reserved than that, and yeah, we have that wide range in our business, I mean, I think we have a group of adventurous people that do what we do, but there's still a range of comfort level, um, then, then maybe it is still best to start, start interviewing for that job at Tam uh, and Syracuse or the equivalent of whatever market you're, you're looking to get into and, and be ready to do it all on in that in that basis where you know you're at least getting a paycheck, you know, where, where you're going to one-man ban, MMJ, shoot, edit, write, post to social media, um, do Facebook Lives, do YouTube Lives. Do all those things and and then and then maybe still figure out something independent, too. I think I think the, the short answer to your question would be if I was doing it again, I would try to find that that voice of being independent along the way.
1: When did you first get an interest to do what you're doing now?
2: you know i didn't grow up thinking that i was going to be a newscaster Um, i know that's a common story and we've heard that type of story from people before and sometimes i question whether people really even (laughs) really even mean it when they say it when they're in the business later oh i always wanted to do that for me it turned out to be i had a confluence of interests and talents and abilities that came together to do what i what i ended up doing um going to Liverpool High School I was I was I was good academically but I also was involved in music and plays and theater. So I had a performance side of things that I did. But I also did like to to write and, and learn and had a sense of curiosity. So in choosing colleges, I knew that If the college was strong for communications, but it wasn't crystal clear that I wanted to go into communications. I went there as an undecided or exploratory major as they called it. And then I started getting involved in the co-curricular activities, and I remember seeing people in my freshman year at Ithaca who were so dedicated and committed to radio and television, shooting stories and directing broadcasts. and And I thought, boy, they put in a lot of hours. And then by the end of that year, I, I was I was one of those people, you know, <laughs> that it was in an audio booth or in a, in a doing a DJ shift or um, manning a floor crew or doing reports. Um, And I really, I really caught the bug. I I interestingly had my college roommate uh, from my freshman year, Andy Washburn, who wisely went into finance. Um, He he was also interested in communications. And we went down to the college television station to find out what it was all about. And and I became immersed and he he decided it wasn't for him. And he's he's had a great, great life and career since then in a completely different direction. But it's kind of ironic that that it's... uh, his encouragement in the beginning that kind of brought me down there.
1: Anchoring, reporting, producing—do you have a favorite?
2: I, I love doing all of them, and and um, on a, on a daily basis, I absolutely enjoy the moment I walk into the studio to anchor the news uh, at roughly four forty-five every afternoon, from five to six thirty, and then again at say nine forty-five to the the ten o'clock and the eleven o'clock. Um, it, it's. I'm great grateful for it. I find it to be energizing. Uh, it, it's, it's enjoyable, it's important. In this past year with COVID, especially a year ago right now, I, I can't think of a time in my career where the information was more important. But the other parts of the day where I can dig into an in-depth story, uh, work on maybe producing longer form pieces or, or even hour long in investigative documentaries, that is in the long term extremely satisfying and, and I really enjoy getting immersed in the in the facts and details, especially telling a story that somebody maybe hasn't told in the same way before.
1: You know, Matt, it, it, it's it's unheard of to be at, at a at a single place. Um For as long as some people have been, you know, yourself, Ted uh, Namey, so many people like that in central New York, the region, the country, just just everywhere. And and, and the two main reasons for my seat is number one, the business is just brutally, brutally cruel sometimes, uh, and, and the breaks that go along with it. And the other one is that most people, especially sports guys, they want to climb the ladder. They want to go from Scranton to Cuse to, you know, uh, Buffalo to New York City, whatever. What about you as the years have have gone by? Did you ever... Chop at the bit, you know. Ten years and twelve. Man, I really want to be in New York, though. I really want to be in Chicago. I really want to be in Houston. Sure. I, you know, and looking back on it now, you've been in Central New York this whole time, succeeded greatly. Obviously, you've had an unbelievable career, and still more to come. I but, that. But, yeah. but, 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 what about the big market feel for you, Matt? I, that,
2: that's you've know, you hit it right on the nose. That, that that is the typical progression, and I and and I certainly have had that itch from time to time over the years, Uh, I I do think the best time to make moves like that is is as soon as you can in your career, Um, and that's true in a lot of fields, I think. Uh, You know, and and I had interviews in bigger markets and had job offers in bigger markets that maybe just weren't quite the right offer at the right time. You know, a lot of it ends up being timing with your own life, with the job relative to where you are now, you know, for example, if I I had no success in Syracuse other than reporting, uh, say on Wednesday through Sunday nights or or working overnights for a year, I, I I would want to be out of here as quickly as possible if nobody saw a better future for me within this market. So I would then, I I would have jumped at a chance, any chance I would have had to move on, but that's not the way it went here. You know, that it's instead it's gone well here. Now there's been a couple points of transition in my career where I went from three to five and then back to three, which Mm. turned out to be good because then five came into the building. Um, So, so those are also pivotal times where you look around, you see what else is out there and something works out where you can stay in your hometown and continue to build on, on a long career uh, of trust and relationship. And I really see at this point now, uh, off of dividends and just the connection I feel to the community. I, I, already, I already had it because I grew up here, but there's a big difference between growing up in the community and then covering it in the news in an in-depth way. Just know so much more about it and learn so much more about it. So I think it's really worked out well. And I, and I do think that it's worth noting that there are a lot of people in markets like ours and repeated in other markets across the country that clearly have the talents or abilities to many of the people that did move to the New Yorks and Bostons and networks and and, and, and made choices along the way to be successful and and lead their life in in the way they chose to. So I think that's worth noting, too, that uh, I think you're kind of alluding to that, that there are different paths of defining success. And I think the more you mature, the more you realize
1: that. Matt Mulcahy, our guest on the NL Sports Platter at Matt Mulcahy on Twitter, the Emmy Award winning television, news anchor reporter and uh, producer, been at it for, for a long time in Central New York. Do, do you do you have a special place where you, where you keep all of your awards? Is there a shelf? Is there a Matt Hall of Fame shelf?
2: Well, n- n- no. It, at, at home we do have a study with a bunch of books and family pictures okay. and there's Four glistening golden Emmy awards there, there
1: that my wife dusts once in a while. <laughs> um, and my Just to dog, remind you, uh, you won them. Huh? Yes, <laughs> right, my do, my dog looks up and, and says, "Huh, that's impressive." Can you now take me out to do my business? Right, um, right.
2: But you know, and and there's a bunch of other awards that are that they always end up in a box or on the back of the desk or in a pile of stuff and. And what I've learned about awards is, yes, they give you recognition that, that hopefully you've done a good job. You've done a job that maybe in that instance was better than your competitor. Uh, it, that certainly feels good. It certainly is rewarding. It's great to bring the, the attention, the accolades to the station and the team that always goes in everything in television it's about a team. Uh, but but it's a very fleeting satisfaction. It's not a long-term a sense of like, boy, I've won some awards. I'm all set, you know. And and for and for that matter, you speak about jobs and opportunities. I can't think of one example where somebody's won one award in our business, and then the next day, the the big market, the big networker, you know, whatever that mythical thing is, calls them up and says, "Hey, I saw you won, saw you won a press club award, a state broadcasters award, an AP award, and you're nominated for an Emmy award." you know, why don't you come and work for us, here's all the money you need. You know, it just it just doesn't quite associate like that. But mean, it, it, it is wonderful recognition, and it does
1: feel good when it happens. You you, you brought up your dog. I know <laughs> you, you you love your animals like me, yes. lo- love your dog, um, and, and it's also a little bit closer to your heart, too, because you're the co-founder of the Shamrock Animal Fund. Uh-huh. It's a not-for-profit yep. organization for people who don't know, it's an amazing group. It helps cover the cost of veterinary care for animals in need and for pet owners with financial limitations. Um, how did that whole thing start? And please let my my folks know where they can go and visit and sure. how they can even, even donate and help out.
2: Oh, that's nice of you to ask that. Uh, it, my wife, Jamie, and I started that, in, which is now 11 years ago. Wow,
1: already. Yeah, it started in 2010, so I had to think about what year we're in. But it is a, we're in the especially in the 11th. especially after 2020, you had to. think Oh, about I know that. Which,
2: which is which is either as they is say, it's the quickest longest ago? year ever. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. it's really hard to figure oh, that one out. Yeah, um, but yeah, our our dog then his name was Shamrock, and he lived almost to the age of 19. Wow! And he, he never had that fatal dog illness. But you know, as as pets get older, they typically require more veterinary care so we found ourselves uh, in the in the Cornell veterinary uh, college waiting room a few times in a couple couple of the local offices here and and we would see people having to make decisions for the benefit of their pet strictly on whether they could pay for it or not and we all know that paying for care is part of the, part of the system and there isn't insurance really that we typically have to pay for veterinary care like we would with medical cares for people. So, so we decided then, we kind of built off the momentum. Shamak passed away and we said, you know, now's a good time to to do something to help animals. My wife has always been an animal lover and deserves credit far exceeding um, my personal motivation to do it. Uh, and, And it's been something that we've been able to do together and, and, and for five years, we ran the Healthy Pet Clinics in Syracuse where we served people in really the poorest neighborhoods of Syracuse by giving their pets care for uh, for just $10. They got a full exam and all their shots. We had great volunteers that helped us do that. Um, and so, so it, it's been really a, a labor of, of love, and we continue to help pay for veterinary care for people. And, and our website is shamrockanimalfund.com. There is, at the top of the site, whether you're on your mobile phone or on, on a laptop or a desktop computer, uh, a donate button where you can click and donate uh, through credit card.
1: That's the easiest way to do it, and, and we, of course, appreciate any support people want to give us. That's great. I'll hop on, actually, after after this and, and, and put in something um, no, thank for, you. for that as well. Um, Ithaca College, let's go back a little bit. Um, sure. Ithaca, as you know, is gorgeous. They make T-shirts about it. Um, yes. My sister went there, amazing, amazing place. And yeah. you went there and you shared a little bit about you know what you do if you were you know twenty two today, let's say going yeah. into the business. But take me back to um, those days a little bit more, dive in, uh, what what are some of your best memories and, and also I just had Carl Ravich on uh, from ESPN who who oh, you did. is just Good. one of my favorites in the industry. I've loved why he's just so yes. great. Um, and he brought you up as well uh, in that interview. So how about your relationship with him when that started and some memories, just kind of rope it all together from, from well, IC?
2: Well, there was a point where I, I, you know, unfortunately Carl went into sports, but uh, when I was the news director for the college TV station and I was in charge of our election night coverage, and and I I uh, was also in charge of deciding who would anchor the election night coverage, and, and I picked Carl to be the... The male uh, anchor, and and uh, along with that, we also had a talented uh, young woman who was co-anchoring with them. But Carl's ability to uh, to do the job that we do, regardless of topic, without a script, in particular, made him particularly agile and able to to cover um, an election night, which was something I'm pretty sure he hasn't done since, <laughs> even though. We then we also then worked together at WBNG in Binghamton, and, and I was in his wedding, and he was at my wedding, wow. and, and and he was um uh, he was a as a lot of first sports jobs are he did do some news coverage as well as doing sports. So I tried to drag him into into news, and, and quite honestly at the time I I was dabbling in doing sports too. I also did um, the college football on the radio, and basketball games, and baseball games, and and uh so the two of us spent a lot of time together we still spend time together although i, I wish we lived next door to each other instead of him in connecticut and me here um but we were just talking uh, a couple of months ago sadly uh, uh, one of our friends who lived to college recently passed away from from cancer and so uh carl had texted me and i said you know what this isn't this isn't one where the text back works i got to pick up the phone and and actually have a conversation. So hopefully, once once we're all vaccinated, the pandemic passes, we'll be on the golf course, but uh, together again and, and having a lot of laughs. But it always feels like no time has passed when we get
1: together. Yeah, when uh, when you guys do that, if you need a fourth, uh, you got you got my number. You got my you got my, you got, my, I got your number. You got, got my, you got my you number. number. A uh, couple couple more for Matt Mulcahy here at CNY Central, of course, and, and on Twitter uh, at Matt Mulcahy, the Emmy award-winning television. Uh, anchor, reporter, and, and producer here on the ML Sports Platter. You can visit cnycentral.com for more uh, as well. You know, it's funny with Carl, the 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 studio host part is where I like him the most for baseball tonight. Um, I just yep. think that's awesome. He's also phenomenal at play-by-play, and one of the play-by-play moments that he now has on the resume is the John Gillen bank shot. Uh, right. you, know, be, be, you know, Syracuse beating Duke. He has a bunch of those moments, you know, the play-by-play guys through the years in sports, the Vince Scullies and the Al Michaels and Bob Costas, and on and on we go, they have their their moments, you know, do you believe in miracles, Bob Costas calling Jordan's final shot against Utah, those sure. type of things. Many anchors on, on, on camera have big-time moments as well, big-time casts, where you just knock it out of the park, and if, if you look at a highlight reel, that that comes up for you. What what does your highlight reel look like at, at your height? Do you remember a specific cast or a story or something where, not just recognition from other people, but where you felt like that was your best moment?
2: Well, I, I, three things come to mind over over a period of time for anchoring. One one first would be the blizzard of '93, which goes back a few years, and and there's I think the the video that we produced afterwards is on YouTube. So maybe that's why it lives on. Um, But, but it truly was the storm of the century. I, I was anchoring countless hours that weekend. um, And, and it really fits that bill of when you really know the community needs the information. They're thirsty for the information They're They're, they're in tune with you because they, they trust you and want to know what, what's going to happen next We're we're a little concerned. We need somebody we can trust, and so with that same theme, two more things come to mind: nine eleven. Um, mm-hmm. Maureen Green and I were anchoring together at WTVH wow. on that day, and and we really just sat in the studio and, and intermixed our local coverage with with the watching the towers fall, uh, the network wow. coverage, and and uh, and experiencing it side by side with. Our community, which as you know, is really just a is a one hour flight or a four hour drive from from Manhattan and uh, and we felt that so deeply and, and again shared experience that as anchors, yes, we were giving important information, but we we're also sharing the emotion of that day. And then I had that same feeling truly just a year ago. It was St. Patrick's Day, which was a Tuesday, March seventeenth of twenty twenty. And it was the, the first night that uh, Jimmy Fallon and The Tonight Show were no longer going to be live because they weren't going to have a studio audience. So we expanded our 11 o'clock news to an hour, um, really on the front end of the pandemic. And I remember having a sense, I mentioned the studio and walking in the studio and how much I enjoyed doing that. Well, that night I can remember walking out of the studio with a, with a big like, oh, boy, am I glad that's over because it was it was emotional uh scary evening but but as a news anchor you kind of feel like you got it you got to keep it together you got to let people know that you are right there with them and how you feel but you also have to be able to maybe offer a bit of a hug or hold a hand too to get people through it so those things come come to mind immediately uh, answering your question about the memorable, anchoring events and, and and there's something there's there's a common thread i think through all three of those over a period of a long
1: time final one for you when when the camera you know goes goes dark and and you're done with uh, you know another cast delivering to, to living rooms across central new york yeah. what do you hope people say about you
2: you know I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that question before mike and i and i can tell you honestly i haven't given it much thought. Uh, and, and and it's interesting that you ask it today because I just saw Kobe Bryant talking about that on ESPN today
0: because
2: uh, Jordan's going to be announcing his uh, Hall of Fame induction and that story was developing and, and they pulled out some, some Kobe video, which, which I guess I would borrow a little bit from him because I felt like I, I could relate to what he was saying in that, you know, we, we all know if we're blessed with a certain amount of talent to do what we do, but whatever talent you're given doesn't really matter if you don't work hard at it every day. And, 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 and I think that I, I, I've lived my career along that same line that uh, I, I don't, I don't want people to think that I only anchor the news and and show up to, to say, here's way with the weather. You know, it's more important that people realize that I, about the community, I wanted to tell stories about the community, and, and the, that it meant something to them, and it meant something
1: to me. Well, this was outstanding. I knew it would be. Uh, looked forward to it. Uh, once we were texting, and 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 I was able to yeah. get you on Matt Mulcahy uh, at Mo, Matt Mulcahy on Twitter. An unbelievable career still going, CNY Central, cnycentral.com, anchor, reporter, producer, award-winning across the board through the years. Matt, thank you again for, for, for coming on, and uh, you helped set the standard uh, in media across Central New York and beyond as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, you know, somebody that uh, a lot of people, including myself, have watched for a long time and, and looked up to and, and really respected a lot of your work, man. You're, you're, you're one of a kind.
2: Well, thank you, Mike, and and I really appreciate you asking, and, and I've enjoyed the conversation. As and I'm, I'm going to catch up now on that call management.
1: Then the ML Sports Platter is brought to you by the Allen Angus Pub, home of the best darn Angus burger in town. Gift cards are available if you are in and around Central New York. Get to the pub for awesome burgers, the Power Play Burger, and many many others. They have homemade french onion soup the places to die for across the board entrees galore specials come out every week awesome beers in the bottle in the can and on tap as well at the al and angus pub home of the best darn angus burger in town a big tip of the cap thank you as well to barks and wreck doggy daycare the vinceguera Consulting group stanley law offices and Your State Farm agent, Matt Graham. Get a free rate quote today and find out what the rate drop is all about at Matt Graham State Farm location, South Bay Road in North Syracuse. And he can quote you as well if you're anywhere in in New York State. So make sure you get on over to SyracuseInsuranceAgent.com or just pop in and say hello to Matt Graham. South Bay Road insurance products include auto, home, property, business, life, health, and more. And uh, they're open Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, so stop by. After hours are available by appointment with Matt Graham, your State Farm agent, the official insurance agent of the NL Sports Platter. What a podcast this was, chatting with two of the best in the business. We had Mark Ross on, talking some NFL draft and football, his career, and much more. And also the terrific CNY Central anchor, producer, and reporter, Matt Mulcahy. I'm Mike Lindsley. Thank you for listening to the NL Sports Platter. Download, subscribe, leave feedback and a five-star review where podcasts are found in your smartphone device and hit me on Twitter at Mike L Sports. As I always tell you, enjoy the games.